Good morning, Village Church. Welcome to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus, enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. Here at the Village Church, we believe that. Oh, sorry. Here at the Village Church, we believe that the giving of tithes and offering is an act of worship. You may give to the vision and mission of the church online, or in your bulletin there is an address you may send a check to. It's not collected during the service. Uh, or after the service, you can drop a check in the box in the back of the sanctuary. Um, your announcements this week in your bulletin in the Life Together section. Uh, you'll see the, the list of men's groups that are meeting this week, uh, along with the Women's Fellowship and Bible Study this week at the church house on Monday at 530. Uh, men's groups are meeting at their regular times. And then next week is the Goodson Village Group meeting in the church house. Um, and especially want to call your attention to the back of the bulletin, we've got an Easter egg hunt for the kids. Uh, yeah, thank you, Mary and uh, team who put that on. Um, that's Saturday, March 23rd at 10 a.m. Uh, here on the playground uh, again Saturday morning. Have some, come have some fun with the kids and your village family. Um, <coughs> also, we're excited to continue to announce our upcoming missions trip to Uganda this fall. Uh, if you're interested and you um, would like to hear more about it or learn how to uh, become part of the team, whether that's staying here and praying and supporting the team or actually going over with the team, uh, please talk to Tish Poliat. You should have gotten a flock note uh, in your email and about how to, how to interact with her on that, um, but I'm sure she'd love to talk to you about it this morning. Uh, the deadline for signing up to travel with the team is next Sunday the 10th. So think about it, pray about it, talk to Tish this week. Uh, those are your announcements, and govern yourselves accordingly. Thank you. Amen. Good morning, Village Church fam. Our words of preparation are this. Take care, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. That's from Deuteronomy 11, 16. Now for our prayer of preparation. Please pray with me. Father God, we come to you humbly once again to say thank you as always for being our God and thanking you, oh God, for choosing us to be your people. Father, remind us that it's by no good work of our own, but by the grace of you who loved us first, that we have redemption and that we have salvation and that we have everything that we need to overcome a broken and fallen world because you, God, have already overcome it. So therefore, we can pull all of our joy, all of our strength, and all of our hope from a living, risen Savior who knows us and loves us and chose us. Father, it's this in all things we pray in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for our call to worship. Today's call to worship comes from Nehemiah 9. I'll read the part that says leader, and then we can all uh, respond with the part that says people. It says, stand up and bless the Lord, your God, from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Oh, Lord.
Amen. You can be seated. If you want to stand, you can. I mean, you don't have to sit down. Amen. This is a song that we all know and love, and I want y'all to sing it along with me, okay? I'm singing up here by myself, but I got all of y'all, so let's make one big choir and sing this song together. Amen. This song says, How Great is Our God. Do you believe we serve a great God? Amen.
Pastor Eckler would like you to be seated. Good morning, church. Now we will have our confession of faith from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Um, I'll read the question and you'll provide the answer. How does, how does Christ carry out the office of, of a priest? And you say, Christ carries out the office of a priest in offering up himself as a sacrifice one time to satisfy divine justice and to reconcile in the making of Amen, amen. One more song that I'm sure you know the words to. So don't hesitate, sing along with us, okay? Before, sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship your holy name. 
today's scripture reading is John 17, verses 1 through 3. So if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Hopefully you all are doing well. Are you doing well? Oh, all is well. That's good to hear. I have a question uh, for y'all to how I want to begin the sermon today. So here's the question. Who was the first high priest of Israel? Man, I thought you didn't know it, but yes, Aaron. Aaron. Aaron is Moses' older brother. And in Exodus uh, 28, uh, Aaron was appointed as the, the high priest by the Lord God. And the role of the high priest in, in ancient Israel is to be a mediator between Yahweh, Elohim, and the people of Israel. The high priest offered gifts, and the high priest also made sacrifices on behalf of the people. And so the high priest was really an intercessor. He, also, he, don't, he didn't just... Uh, make sacrifices and offer gifts on behalf of the people. He also prayed for the people of Israel. In Exodus 28, verses 12 and also verse 29, it says, Aaron bears the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on his shoulders upon and upon his heart. And whenever he, he enters the holy place, it is inside the tabernacle, he brings the people a regular remembrance before the Lord God. He brings to the people a regular remembrance before the Lord God. And like Aaron, Jesus does the same for his people. He does the same for his people. We're going to start a, a, a Easter sermon series today on John 17. We're going to be working our way through that whole chapter uh, for the next four, next five weeks. And the title of this uh, sermon series is, is A Priestly Prayer. A Priestly Prayer. The text today is John 17, verses 1 and 3. The title is The Hour. The Hour. And here's my overall main point. Because Jesus' hour has come, we have hope. Because Jesus' hour has come. All of us in this room, those who may be tuning in online, we have hope. Please pray with me for me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will um, continue to minister to each of us. Uh, you've done so through the other parts of the service, and I pray now through the preaching of the word that you will minister to our minds and to our hearts, to our thoughts and to our emotions. We are whole people. We're not just cognitive people. We're also emotional people. And so I pray that you will minister to us 
holistically through the preaching of the word. We will do it for the glory of our Savior and for our benefit. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Little Derek uh, kneels to, to pray for his family members once again. This is something that he does on the routine. Uh, but his body language is different this time around. Something is different about him. His arms are crossed. There's a frown on his face. There's a, a clenched jaw. You see, little Derek is displeased with the result of his prayers. He says, Aunt Harriet hasn't gotten married. Uncle Lawrence hasn't any work. And Daddy's hair is still falling out. I'm tired of praying for this family without results. I'm tired of praying for my family without seeing any results. How many of you are tired of praying without results? What have you been praying for? What are you hoping for? How many of you are tired of praying without the results you feel that you are entitled to receive from God? I've been a good Christian, Lord. I go to church every week. I love my family. I tithe. I serve. I'm a good child. I'm obedient. I've been praying for the same stuff for months and for years. And where, 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 where are my results? Why aren't you answering uh, my prayer? Christians' prayers do get results. Sometimes the result is yes. Sometimes the result is no. See, God's way might not always align with our way for the way that we want our life. Public theologian Akimini Uwan says, God's no is just as holy as his yes. God's no is just as holy as his yes. So because the results sometimes that we want for our life might not be what's best for us. I know what I want. But is that what's best for me? But do you believe that? That the things that you often want for your life may not be the best for you. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? Jesus believes that the Father always knows what's best. He prays his priestly prayer with that firm belief. My Father always knows what's best. Even if his best means I might suffer. Even if his best means I might be disappointed. Even if his best means my dreams for my life might not ever come true. Even if his best means I got to learn to live with less than what I want and think that I deserve. Even if his best means I have to give certain things up. The opening of John chapter 17 is a transition. There's a transition taking place in Jesus' life. There's a transition taking place in this gospel. See, this chapter closes out Jesus' earthly ministry. It's it's, It's over at this point. This is like a farewell prayer. This chapter closes out the farewell discourses that's in John 13 all the way through John 16. This is his farewell discourse. This is his final words to his disciples. And so look at verse 17, 1. It says, when Jesus said or spoke these things, 
That's everything from 13 to 16. After he washes the disciples' feet, breaks bread with them, reveals the traitor in their midst, issues a new commandment to love one another. After he puts Peter in his place and tells them on the way the truth and the life, promises to send them another helper and says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but take heart. I have overcome the world. After these words, after this ministry, he prays. He prays. John 17, it commences his priestly prayer. And then you see Jesus' demeanor of prayer. Look at verse 1. He says he lifted up his eyes to heaven. That's humility. Jesus is is acknowledging where his help comes from. Where does your help come from? Status? Bank account? Job? The achievement of your kids? Your family? Your retirement? Where do do you lift your eyes up to every day when you get up in the morning and say, this is where my help comes? Jesus' demeanor is, my help comes from above. Where does your help come from? And notice the direction of his prayer. It's it's, it's directed to the Father. He says, and Father. And Father. He's a child approaching a parent. This This is intimate for Jesus. Prayer is intimacy with the Father. It shows us a relationship. And then you see the dependency of his prayer because Prayer is, depends upon God to give answers. He gives the results. Sometimes we pray and think we got to make the results happen. You can't produce results. All we can do is be faithful in what God calls us to do, but when it comes to results, that is outside of our lane. You can do all the right things and still not get the results you want. That happens to all of us. It happens to all of us. And so there's a demeanor of prayer. There's a determination of prayer. And there's the, the dependency of prayer all directed to the Father. And there's also a determination of prayer. Because prayer, as Christians, we have to be persistent in our prayer life and faithful in our actions. We pray and move. We pray and live. Just like Jesus. Jesus prays throughout his whole ministry. But he didn't stop moving. He didn't pray and say, well, I'm going to sit right here in Gethsemane and, 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 and Nazareth and until, you know, the angels come tell me what I need to do next. Uh, I'm just going to sit right here and, and see what happens. He prays and he lives his life. He prays and he's faithful to what God has called him to do. He prays and moves. He doesn't pray and sit still. So the same we can do for us. When we pray, we pray and we continue to step out in faithfulness. Amen? Do I need to pull out the sign? I think I really pull out the sign. If you want a good marriage, pray about it. But if you don't go to counseling, don't come to me. Don't come to me and say I prayed about it. Well, did you go to counseling? Well, I didn't go to counseling. Well, take your butt to counseling. Pray and move. Pray and act. Well, Pastor, I want a job. Well, I'm praying about it. Have you put in the application? Well, I haven't done that yet. 
Well, well, I mean, what do you, you want UPS to come and knock on the door and say, Job, move. Move. Well, Lord, I'm praying about getting out of debt. Well, do you have a debt plan? Well, I, I haven't thought about that, Pastor. Well, are you living on a budget? Well, I, no, I don't live on a budget. Well, you can pray all you want to. You're still going to be in debt. Pray and move. Pray and move. Pray and move. So Jesus, in his prayer, he, he prays for himself first. That's his first prayer request. And what do you think about that? He prays for himself first. How does it make you feel to think, well, why is Jesus praying for himself first? Shouldn't he be praying for other people first? See, Jesus has a fire in his belly. He wants a certain result. He longs for his glorification. And his prayer request is consistent with God's will for his life. It's not selfishness. He is praying what is consistent with God's will for his life. Look at verse 1. He said, he, in verse 2, he prays, Father, the hour has come and is now here. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Father, the hour is here and it has come and is now here. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. As Jesus' hour has arrived, we can be certain that our hope is secure and unshakable because his hour has come. On March 25th, March 5th, 2005, me and Rakila, we got married, March 25th, 2005. And the hour has come for us to celebrate our anniversary this Tuesday, 19 years, 19 years. And so that term hour can be a metaphor that signifies a moment in time. Hour can, 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 re can refer to terrific events in your life like birthdays and anniversaries and the birth of a child or graduation from high school and college and getting that first job and, and for parents when the kids get off the budget. It's coming. Hopefully it's coming when, they, when kids finally move out. So we also, our represents terrific moments and events in our life, and our can also represent tragic events as well, moments that we don't always like to think about, like death, the loss of someone that you love. The loss of someone that may never come back. Like for me, as my dad. I have it in, in my calendar every year when my dad passed away so that I can remember him. That's in there. Never going to be deleted the day he passed away. So our represents moments in, of our life. And according to the Gospel of John, the term our refers to an event unique to Jesus alone. It's unique to only him. Nobody else can share it. The term is actually mentioned three, six times in this gospel. Three times it says the hour has not yet come. That's in John 2, 7, and 8. Three times it says the hour has come. John 12, 13, and here in John 17. The hour that has come and is now here is of divine destiny, divine purpose, divine will. Not chance. Not karma, not by the will of man, not by faith, but by the will of God the Father. 
the hour of Jesus refers to the specific time of his death on the cross. That's the hour that he's moving towards. His earthly ministry is coming to an end, but he's moving towards his passion. The week of the passion. That's the hour. In John 12, 27, Christ says to his disciples, now is my soul troubled? And what will I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. What is he saying? He's saying this is the reason why I came in the incarnation. This is the whole reason why I came. I didn't leave the glories of heaven just to come down here and just hang out for three years. I came down here for a particular purpose. And I'm moving towards that purpose. And the hour that has come and is now here is also his glorification. Think about that for a moment. The hour that has come and is now here is also about his glorification. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son through his death and resurrection so that the son may glorify you. That's what he's saying. I think one theologian, the scholar says, according to the gospel of John, the hour of Jesus' death, the hour of Jesus is the time of his death, which is, which is presented as the hour of his glorification, not as the hour of his humiliation. It's the hour of his glorification. In John 12, Christ says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's talking about his resurrection. He's talking about his own death. And in John 28, verse 20, 12, 28, it says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Jesus' death, y'all, is the hour of his glorification. The resurrection is the hour of his glorification. Both are part of the work the Father sent him to complete. And Jesus glorifies the Father by finishing that work. Glorify the Son, so that the Son may glorify you. CBC Kids, Pastor Alex, want to talk to y'all for a moment. When your parents say, go clean your room, they're giving you a work to do, a job. Now, is there expectation for you to clean it halfway or to clean it completely? This is congregation participation time for all the kids. So if part of your work as a kid is to clean your room, is it the expectation that you would clean it completely or you would clean it halfway? Speak up, kids. Don't be shy. Completely. 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 Now, cleaning it completely doesn't mean you stuff clothes under the bed. Doesn't mean you throw clothes in the closet. It means you get everything. You clean under bed, you dust, you get it all. You get it all up. You put the clothes in the right drawer they're supposed to go in. It means you make up your bed. It means you may need to spray some for breeze because there's a stench. 
So cleaning your room means you clean it completely. God sends Jesus to clean a messy room. Okay? Jesus is sent to clean a messy room. He's been given the authority by God to do a deep cleaning. He's going to do the baseboards. He's going to do the blinds. He's going to vacuum the curtains. He may even touch up paint. He may even buy you new furniture. He's going to clean it all completely. And please know that messy room is you. It's me. That's why he came. He comes to, to clean us. And what did Peter say to Jesus in John 3? Lord, you wash my feet too? No, Lord, you may not wash my feet. He says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. They would say, well, Lord, wash my head and my toes and everything. My whole body. And that's what his death and, and resurrection is all about. It's him coming to clean the, the sin that has us in bondage. And the way that he does that is that he takes the dirt upon himself so that we can be made clean. He takes it upon himself. He becomes messy so that we can become clean. Do you want to be clean? Do you want to be clean? He says in verse 2, Since you, Father, have given me authority over all human beings, to give eternal life to all whom you have given me. Jesus purchased eternal life for all the people the Father has given him. He purchased eternal life by dying. The greatest gift that has ever been given to mankind came at the cost of another man's life. An innocent man's life. He died for his enemies. And he makes enemies for him. That's the gift. These are the, these are the people, the Father, the people that, that God has given to Jesus. These are the people that, that, that God draws to Jesus. These are the people who are meant to come to him. Even Christ says, no one can come to me unless the Father is, draws them to me or granted to him by the Father. He says, all that the Father has given to me will come to me. Jesus has the authority to give everlasting life. That's life unto the age. To every person the Father gives to him. And what is eternal life? And this is eternal life. That they know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. It's faith. It's faith. It's not performing. It's not producing. It's belief. The people that that God gives to Jesus are all the people who come to Jesus in saving faith. Those are the people. Are you one of them? These are the people who have saving faith. They are the ones who, who have eternal life. And that is our hope. That is our hope. And so if you want everlasting hope, if you want true, enduring hope, saints, and it's only found in Jesus Christ. That is why he came. And so if you're tired and you're heavy laden, 
then if you want true peace, then if you want true acceptance, then if you're tired of burning the candle at both ends and, and you're feeling like you, you're stuck in quicksand you, and you just can't get out and you're spinning in mud, that maybe the Holy Spirit saying it's time for you to stop running. It's time for you to submit. Give your life to Jesus. Repent of your sins. Confess him as Lord and Savior and surrender your life to him and he will receive you. And this gift of eternal life, it will be yours. Because it was paid with his blood. His blood. A hymn says, this is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Anything else is sinking sand. Anything else you're, standing, you're trying to find righteousness in, hope in, peace in, is sinking sand. Hey, marriage is great. Having family is great. But they make poor saviors. Okay, they're poor saviors. They're poor saviors. Living here in America is great, but it's a poor savior. It's poor saviors. And so... Where are you going for peace? Where are you going for hope? Where are you going to make yourself feel good about yourself? It has to be Jesus. Your perfect high priest who is able to sympathize with all your weaknesses because he knows what it's like to be us. Think about this. It's one thing to read about depression in the book. It's another thing to be someone who lives with it. I live with it. So to me, it ain't just theory. Jesus didn't just read a book about what it meant to be human. He became human. So he knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to experience injustice. He knows what it's like to have people turn their backs on you. He knows what it's like, and he knows what it feels like. So when he says, I'm your perfect high priest, I'm your perfect high priest who knows what it's like to be you. I know, and I'm here. I'm here. And what's so beautiful about that is, is that when you come to Jesus, some people, when you go through stuff, you you got to explain it over and over for them to get it. Jesus, you don't have to explain it. He, you just come in here, and he, he can look at you and say, I know, beloved. I know. Come on. Bring it in. I know. I know. That's the kind of high priest we got. He knows. He knows. And he's with us. Anthony Bradley, he's a, one of the uh, a scholar and theologian that I follow on social media. And one of, his, one of his tweets that he put out on the social media app formerly known as Twitter, he says, What a word. We have an anchor. By his cross, we have been saved. We have a water. By his cross, we have been redeemed. We have a hope. By his cross, we have been healed, embraced, so that nothing and no one can separate us from his redeeming love. We have a hope. 
if you are a Christian, someone who has seven faith in Jesus, you have a hope. By his cross, we have been healed and embraced so that nothing in all creation, whether life or death, whether who's in the White House or not in the White House, whether we lose all of our American rights or whatever may come, nothing that the world can do and come at us, nothing would be able to separate us from his redeeming love. But do you believe it? Let us pray. Lord, nothing can separate us from your redeeming love. Though sometimes it feels that way, but our feelings are not always reflected of what is actually true. So Holy Spirit, as we go out this week and as we encounter ups and downs, as we deal with yeses and noes to our prayers, help us to never forget who we belong to. And the one that we belong to is a good, 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 good Father. And he is for us and not against us. And we will see his goodness in the land of the living. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Will y'all please stand as we close our service.
guests today. Thank you so much uh, for being with us. Uh, also, there's a QR code on your worship guide. I would love for you to scan that. There's a, a you'll find a guest form there. We would love for you to um, fill that out. Also, Sunday equipment classes. The adults will be here in the sanctuary for sermon discussion. Your youth in the basement. Um, the little ones will be in the nursery, and the village kids will be in uh, the annex. Also, uh, be on the lookout. One of our neighbors in the neighborhood is doing a neighborhood cookout, and she reached out to the church for help. And so Marcus is her contact, so more information will be coming out about that soon so that we can partner with our neighbor here in the neighborhood. Now, here's God's benediction to his beloved. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times. And God's people said, Amen. Please greet one another, saints. Thank you.